back to the Off The Key Podcast, where we review music new and old. I'm your host, Mac, and today I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts, Garrett. I stole the margarine. And James. Great googly moogly. And today we're going to be talking about Frank Zappa and his fifth solo studio album, Apostrophe. Today we are actually recording in the middle of a really bad storm, and so I do apologize if there is a lot of background noise. We do not have a proper studio, but we will do our best. James, could you elaborate as to why you picked Apostrophe by Frank Zappa? So Apostrophe is, in my opinion, one of the best albums to get them into the rabbit hole that is Frank Zappa. It's a lot more approachable relative to Zappa's other projects. Yeah, I think it really cuts down on a lot of the avant-garde and even some of the jazz. There's a little bit of like jazz rock in this, but it's not really as prevalent as some of his earlier stuff. And it's that's a good entry point. I will say this or or Sheik Your Booty are both just great entry points into Zappa. Yeah, this was my entry point. You know, I actually was very curious about Zappa, and I asked James, "Where should I start?" He pointed me to apostrophe, and I think that was a good spot because you know, apostrophe. It's short. It's like thirty-three minutes. I would argue this is Frank Zappa's most approachable album. If you're wondering, Frank Zappa is actually an American musician, composer, guitarist, singer, songwriter, and band leader who is widely considered one of the most innovative and diverse artists of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But his work is typically characterized by just general nonconformity, freeform improvisation, definitely virtuosity, overall satire of American culture. In Zappa's 30-plus year career, he produced and released nearly all of the 60-plus albums he did with his band, The Mothers of Invention, and his solo work. Zappa is obnoxiously prolific. Even after he died in the 90s, there were almost 60 posthumous albums released by the Zappa Trust Fund. It's very difficult to overstate just how important Zappa was to music in general, especially in the 60s and 70s and even 80s as well. And hell, even 90s after he died. The amount of musicians that have played with Zappa number in the hundreds. His influence can really be seen twofold when it comes to the impressions that he had on music. He was kind of someone that musicians would go to kind of really just cut their teeth on. If you wanted just a real extreme experience where you kind of push the boundaries of what you're comfortable with as a performing artist, Zappa would definitely take you there. Like he's going to push you to your limits. He's going to make you do all kinds of creative stuff that you never would have thought you'd be doing on a live stage. And also Zappa's kind of like, you know, the musician's musician. He does a lot of like really creative songwriting stuff in all of his songs with all these different genres. So a lot of musicians at the time just wanted to be a part of that, even if it was for a, but a brief moment. The amount of important figures in music that Zappa has influenced is unbelievable. I was looking at a big list, but these are probably some of the most notable figures. Alice Cooper, Primus, The Tubes, Can, Yes, Devo, Kraftwerk, Fish, Jeff Buckley, John Frusciante of Red Hot Chili Peppers, Stephen Wilson, Paul McCartney of The Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, Black Sabbath, Mike Portnoy, System of a Down, Steve Vai, George Clinton has even cited 
Frank Zappa is an influence. Brian Eno, Weird Al Yankovic, it goes on and on and on and on. I mean, Zappa has worked with countless musicians and he has influenced so many massive music acts that are still big to this day. One of the biggest influences I can actually see as far as like a one-for-one influence is actually George Clinton. Cosmic Debris, and I was like, man, I'm getting a lot of Funkadelic here. I was getting the guitar playing of Eddie Hazel. You could close your eyes on some spots in this moment. I thought that he'd invited Eddie Hazel in the studio. Like, there's a lot of similarities to be had between early Funkadelic and, like, this era of early 70s Zappa. This is all just saying the least, really. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, the Zappa rabbit hole goes deep, and we're going to try and keep it short, but if you are interested, definitely check him out. I would call him one of the most enigmatic figures of the 60s and 70s in music. If you really like you know, bands with a lot of history, lore, yeah. Yeah, and all that stuff, Zappa's a big one. I mean, a lot of reading material, a lot of stuff to learn, so much history there. It kind of shows with the way Zappa writes music. He's very... As James put it, genre fluid. And you can see it in Frank Zappa's music. Even going back to his teenage years, he has had a wide range of influences. I mean, the man was a self-taught composer and a musician. He was playing for multiple R&B bands as a drummer. He was writing his own classical music. So one thing that is not enigmatic about Zappa is his passion for music. Oh, yes. He was a very outspoken critic of a lot of different things but especially music censorship you know what i appreciate about zappa is that he is very much when it comes to censorship and even like recreational drug use he's very much like you know i'm not gonna do these things and i'm i'm not big on them but i'll fight for your right to do them And that's the one thing that i appreciate about zappa and his personality it shows in his music, too. Cosmic Debris, I mean, that's quite literally an anti-drug song. He was a very outspoken critic of mainstream education, organized religion, and censorship. And he was a really, really passionate advocate for freedom of speech, political participation, and the abolition of censorship as a whole. So an interesting fact about Zappa is he actually testified in a huge case in the 80s. In 1985, it was a highly publicized Senate hearing that proposed a bill to require a rating system for music, like the MPAA rating system for films. So, you know, like G, PG, PG PG-13, R-rated. This organization called the Parents Music Resource Center pushed this bill to Senate and to Congress for that reason. Basically, the organization was founded by Tipper Gore, the wife of, at the time, Senator Al Gore, to address the issue of song lyrics and sexual or satanic content in music. Is she burning hell next to Art Bros? Oh, yeah. She has been memed to death by musicians. This is right in the middle of the Reagan administration, the whole dare to say no to drugs thing and all these very conservative moral campaigns were going on at yeah, the time. Yeah, the satanic panic. Yes, exactly. Now, is this the same case where Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister also stood up and gave his contribution to that yes. case? Yeah, so he was against it as well. Frank Zappa and Dee Snyder and hand-in-hand fighting a bill. Zappa's is testimony it? is legendary. It's iconic. <laughs> what, was, what was that line or that quote from Zappa that you sent in the chat, yeah, James? Regarding censorship, he said it's like treating dandruff with decapitation that's just that's so good that's so brilliant he said this to the united states senate man was principled and he stood up for it it's admirable it really is to give a little more context so what pcmr was trying to propose on top of the rating system was 
record labels and the RIAA should print warnings on albums while forcing record stores to put albums with explicit covers under the counters, kind of like you would with porn at a VHS rental store or something like that. Yeah, like a, a back room, basically. They further wanted to push television stations to not broadcast explicit songs or videos with explicit content and to reassess the contracts of musicians who performed violently or sexually in concert, while also creating a panel to set content standards for the music industry. A lot of these I disagree with. A lot of musicians spoke out to this at the time and still speak out to it to this day. Even as far as like the early 2000s, Eminem was making disses at Tipper Gore. Now, I wonder what musicians were actually for it, if any. Yeah, so the most notable opposition was actually Mike Love of the Beach Boys and Joseph Coors of the Coors Beer Company. They both actually funded the group and even going so far as to offer them offices at the Coors headquarters. It was a pretty weird situation. Eventually, the RIA came to a decision. They agreed to put generic parental advisory labels on certain releases at their own discretion, and ironically, many critics suggested that these advisory labels would create a forbidden fruit effect and increase overall record sales. Even going so far as uh, Philip Bailey of Earth, Wind & Fire saying that for the most part, the sticker might even sell more records in some areas. All you've got to do is tell someone this is a no-no, and then that's what they want to go see. Yeah, pretty much. Now let's gear the conversation back a little bit. What would you define Zappa's music as? Now Zappa, as we said before, very genre-fluid musician. But a lot of people would call him the godfather of comedy rock. In some senses, yes. I would agree with that. You go throughout his discography and look at his lyrics. There are very few songs where he has serious lyrics in it. Avant-garde comedy rock. Genre hopping with a backbone of rock. and I'd say jazz and classical as well. And the brain yeah. of, of that humorous content. Personally, I actually don't think Zappa's music would work as well if he wasn't such a talented and brilliant musician. It's kind of like... What would happen if Zappa wasn't as talented of a composer? It would essentially be his whole career is just the first minute of Don't Eat the Yellow Snow, where it's just like that one guitar riff. It's just some quirky lyrics over a guitar riff. Music like that would wear out its welcome incredibly fast. Personally, I'm not the biggest fan of comedy rock. You I'm know, not uh, yeah, acts like you know, Weird Al, Tenacious D, even Flight of the Concords. And you know, they have some likable moments, but comedy rock is a genre not a huge fan of but i'll give frank zappa a pass here and i feel like humor i take my humor as like extremes if i want to laugh i want to find something funny i want to find it really funny you know i'm not i'm not i don't go into things just wanting to breathe out my nose so that's why if i listen to comedy rock comedy whatnot it has to be pretty clever tenacious d has some very catchy stuff a lot of the concords has some very catchy stuff weird al when he's not doing his one-for-one parodies is doing pastiches which are like pretty much doing a parody of a band's style kind of like with what he did with devo and i think that's interesting like we said with zappa the music has to be there and he does very much deliver but if he didn't it would fall very flat we should also gear back a little bit and kind of dig more into the zappa lore but um zappa originally started in the band called the mothers of invention Zappa has played with the Mothers of Invention for pretty much the entirety of his career. They also did the majority of his solo works backing instrumentals. In fact, even apostrophe here, 
was recorded in the same studio session as their commercial breakout, Overnight Sensation. And apostrophe is an interesting point in Frank Zappa's discography because it is arguably the most successful release of his entire career. It was actually certified gold by the RAAA. I believe it was one of the only albums to get any kind of radio play or success on the Billboard rating charts. Like, don't eat the yellow snow. Isn't that the only charting song that Zappa's ever had in his career? Yep, it charted at 86. I believe he's had three in his career, but Don't Eat the Yellow Snow was the main one. Let's jump right into it. So we already kind of brushed over it, but the biggest hit from the album and the opening, Don't Eat the Yellow Snow. Now, this is actually part of a four-part suite on the album that tells a story of Zappa dreaming about being an Eskimo named Nanook. Now, he actually took the inspiration from this from a... Uh, 1922 silent film called Nanook of the North. It was actually one of the first films to ever be preserved by the Library of Congress. It starts off with the wind of the Arctic. It sets the mood for where you are. And then it goes into kind of a simple but catchy melody with the guitar and bass in a 7-8 time signature. It moves into a 7-16 time signature when the lyrics start to come in. Yeah, and one thing I kind of noticed right away is that doo-wop influence. You get a lot of vocalizations and harmonizations on this album. This is one of the only songs where this and Cosmic Debris, where I feel like like the side, the extra vocals actually really help the song instead of just really get in the way and distract it. So it's a very solid opener. It goes ham. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a progressive buildup all the way through the suite. It moves on pretty seamlessly into the next track. Nanook rubs it, continuing from the story of Don't Eat the Yellow Snow. The whole joke is, you know, you better watch out for that yellow snow. Right, where the huskies go. Essentially, the next part of this four-part story or suite is this Eskimo Nanook. By the way, go ahead and clear this out of the way. This is Frank's description. Eskimo is actually now considered a pejorative. Just wanted to throw that out there before anybody gets mad. Yes, and in 1974, it was not. But anyway, uh, Nanook describes an encounter fighting a trapper who is trying to kill his favorite baby seal. And he shoves the yellow snow in the trapper's eyes. The way he describes the encounter is hysterical. (laughs) I will say, though, it is honestly kind of funnier when you think about it yourself and when you kind of like say it out loud than it is in the context of the song. Frank's presentation, it's so seamless that you almost forget about what he's talking about at times. There's so much stuff going on. The little little uh, guitar licks that he gives everyone every every now the and again in the song are, are very fire. They're very they're kind of funk influenced. You know, then you know this song in particular feels like it's like, man, did you bring Eddie Hazel in to just riff off some bars because they're actually pretty good. A very very minor minor nitpick is that I actually want more of Zappa's guitar playing on this whole album. Like I just I would not be opposed if he just let loose and turned into Yingwei Malmsteen for like a whole album. But he does some pretty impressive work and it really shows on this song. You really can hear why he has earned the spot among the greatest guitarists of all time. As far as like the musicians that I've heard talk about Zappa, I feel like they talk about his guitar playing too much and they don't mention enough his his songwriting ability. I feel like his songwriting and composing is way better than his guitar playing. Compositional mad scientist. He really is a compositional genius. He is considered one of the greatest modern composers of all time. And you can easily see it here. Like, there's so many of his songs that are just so perfectly layered. All these sounds just perfectly complement each other. There's really no mistakes here. 
Yeah, and that's one thing I will say. You know, the pacing of the album, there's never a point in any Frank Zappa album I've heard where I'm like, wow, or the structure of this is bad. The core, the backbone of this album is rock solid. You're never going to have a problem with the compositional structure and the musicality of a Frank Zappa song or album. Really, the only time you're gonna only gonna dislike Zappa if it's really gonna be his personality and his lyrics. That's yeah. really gonna be what you're gonna have a problem with. Zappa's personality and his lyrics and his music are so strongly tied together that if you don't gel with Zappa, you won't gel with his music. He was very authentic, and he put who he was into the music more than a lot of people that I've seen. He really didn't make music for. You know, the charts are to sound good. He made the music that he wanted to do, and he he put that out there for us to see, you know, regardless. In my opinion, that's exactly at least part of what makes him so great. He was uncompromising, totally authentic, and he did exactly what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. Absolute Chad of the music world. An absolute Chad of the next part of the suite, St. Alfonso's. Pancake breakfast. I'm, I'm not going to lie, you guys. I fucking hate this opening. The xylophone opening. Yeah. It, so it it's was so annoying. It was inspired by a bad commercial for Imperial Margarine. Yeah. It makes a, no, the song, the rest of the song is fine. I just don't like the opening, but uh, it's supposed to be mocking bad commercials from that era. Yeah. I, I definitely got the intent. Even the rest of the song, I mean, the really upbeat tempo, the odd synths and the those like squealing obnoxious horns it sounds it sounds straight out of a bad tv commercial this is also a really big juxtaposition to nanook because you're saying everything's like everything's perfectly layered everything sounds like it's in its right place this one is like very like disjointed it's very rapid it goes from one section to another and like a breakneck pace with no really i mean there's transitions but they're just like boom and then boom and then boom it's like you're just switching like different color cards and it's so it's so rapid, and there's just different riffs, and then a riff here and a riff there. It never really aggravates me, though. You oh, know yeah, what I'm no. saying? And like the, the percussion parts are tremendous. the The woman that was actually is actually playing the xylophone part is actually playing with four sticks, two in each hand. I watched the video of like her explaining the parts in the song, and I, I watched it probably about three times. I, I did not understand. Blew my mind. Ruth Underwood is her name. She is a legendary marimba xylophone and percussion player. Yeah, she's also part of the Mothers of Invention, so. If I'm not mistaken, she was one of the original members. To call her a virtuoso at those instruments would be an understatement. Yeah, it, it's impressive. I mean, the, the talent that the Mothers of Invention and Frank Zappa have, it's absurd. Yeah, and then it transitions pretty seamlessly into... Father Oblivion. Yes. The and final part of this four-part suite. This is the peak here and it is absolute insanity wild it's that tension building that eventually pays off and then all it speeds up it gets deconstructed and it brings the suite to its climax pretty much an explosive conclusion this personally this is my favorite part of the album is that four song suite i do think the other tracks on the album are great but i just love the build-up and the tension and the story that's going along along with the payoff at the end Likewise. As much as I love St. Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast, I just don't think it fits with the other four songs. Transitions from that song to Father Oblivion are, are solid, but it's just like the just like the song itself just doesn't seem to fit with the other three. And I almost wish that it would have like another song in its place and that song would have been put in the middle somewhere. I could see that. It's definitely the one that sticks out the most in the uh, suite. I just wanted to make a point about Zappa's drummers 
Zappa has played with numerous drummers. No small names either. We're talking Ralph Humphrey, Chester Thompson, Terry Bozio, Vinnie Caliuta. All of these guys will go on to play with incredible acts and make amazing music. Chester Thompson is a notable example. He went on to play with Genesis and Phil Collins. Vinnie Caliuta has played with numerous musicians, including Sting and a lot of other great guys, and he even has his own solo acts. To be a Zappa drummer, you basically had to be among the best. You had to be borderline greatest of all time to work with him. Not only that, but you have to take instruction incredibly well. He is not going to tolerate who you think you are, and he's also not going to tolerate your reputation. You're going to play exactly what he writes, or you're not going to play at all, which is a big reason that on one of these songs, the one of the biggest controversies is that yes, on apostrophe... Jack Bruce is credited as playing bass and I believe co-writing the song. But if you ask them in interviews, they've talked about their collab before. Zappa says he did play on the song. He jammed with them. He wrote it and all that. And Jack Bruce says that all he did was come in. They jammed a little bit. He played like one or two notes of cello and then pieced out. So they have very different opposing views of what happened. But what Zappa has also said about Jack Bruce is that he's like, Talented guy, he said he's too busy. For him to just like dismiss one of the best bass players of the era, just as simply as like, hey, it's too busy for me, and just kind of just like, and not think about him ever again, like crazy to think about. I mean, he did not <laughs> care who you are. You play what he wrote or GTFO. Wholeheartedly uncompromising. And man, it's, it's admirable, but I imagine it created some serious divide in the Mothers of Invention and artists that he worked with uh we're getting into the second half of the album here cosmic debris this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier frank zappa is very outspoken and one of the biggest things he is outspoken about is actually drug use and this song details essentially what is a drug deal yeah this is actually my favorite track on the album it's very simple it's very funky and i mean it just reminds me of some old school early funkadelic with the, just the guitar playing and the rhythms it's very heavily funk influenced it reminds me of like the screeching guitars on a maggot brain a little bit yeah one of my biggest nitpicks is that not exactly the backing vocals but it's like the little backing vocal like ad libs he adds here and there i do not care for i think they're busy they're not really all that funny they kind of ruin things but here, the backing vocals are very well done. It just ties it all together. Now, one thing that me and Mac did note is that Zappa gets real sexy on the song when he's talking. He has long spoken word parts where we're going to talk about the drug deal that's going down. He's making some mouth sounds that for a person like me that has like misophonia to up to a nine out of ten, he was walking a line. And if he got any more like mouth sound with it, this would easily be the worst song on the album for me. Like it, it's fine, and I can listen to the song however much I want to, and it doesn't bother me. But he's very close to getting into that territory. I was listening to it, and I listened to it back again, and I'm like, am I tripping here? Am I hearing these mouth sounds? So I asked Garrett about it, and I was like, dude, are you hearing this too? Yes, I almost can't stand it, and I was like. Okay, I'm not crazy. <laughs> it almost killed the song for me. Yeah. I have to agree. Yeah, he gets really, really close to the mic. Like you hear like lip smacking and, and saliva and it, man. It's this really like low voice yeah. that he's using to yeah. kind of. He's getting sexy with it. We can, we can vibe with that. Yeah, it's seductive and it, and it kind of works in the yeah. context of the, the whole drug deal situation. You know, yeah. like the drug deal is like, hey, I'm temptation. Come with me. Yeah, it's get some drugs. It's supposed to convey this seductive but dangerous mood. You run into this weird dude in an alleyway in some shithole, and he's got this big jacket on. 
It's the only drug that he really like pushed back on was tobacco. Zappa was actually a very heavy tobacco user and yes. even spoke out against anti-tobacco campaigns. He was a heavy smoker and also a heavy coffee drinker. He admitted those were his only vices. He said, listen, no addictive substances, only the most common ones in America, people. It is what it is. The point goes across. It's just one of those things. I love the way that he uses the instruments and everything to create these little sounds to describe what's going on. He's illustrating the scene with the instruments. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you get this picture painted perfectly down to the music, the lyrics, the mood. For that reason, I mean, I can't write the song off. I'm not saying it's bad at all. Garrett and I are really just nitpicking. Now, the next track I did not care for as much. Exxon Trifugal Fours. Try and say that 10 times fast. Probably one of the most pretentious songs in the album. It's still not as serious. It still has the satirical feel, especially in the lyrics. Yeah, the problem with Frank Zappa in general is if you don't identify with the subjects that he's satirizing or if you don't agree with the way he's satirizing them, it's not going to gel well with you. He's literally the friend who is funny, but thinks that he is the most funny person in the room. He'll do nothing but make jokes, and some of them land. And then the ones that don't, you just get a whole song of this just cringe joke that's not funny. And yeah. that's where you really got to jail with Zappo. My biggest criticisms of him is that you have to be in a very certain mindset to listen to his music. They're a bit dated. Now, the next track, Apostrophe. Banger City. Fantastic. That, that riff, I cannot get that riff out of my head. Yeah, likewise. The same as before, like every single facet of the song is just perfect. The musicianship is amazing. The structure is perfect. And it keeps you engaged it the entire time. It doesn't feel like seven minutes, does it? No, Not at all. It, and I was honestly getting a little bit of a blues influence on oh, this yeah. song. Like oh, real yeah. heavy blues influence. Yeah, definitely. Especially in the guitar. Zappa was very heavily influenced by blues, especially in his guitar playing. Blues and funk are probably the biggest influences for his guitar style. He just blends it so well, and the the skin that's holding everything in is his personality and his songwriting yeah. and his lyrics. That's pretty much it. That's what holds it together, and it's pretty seamless. He's one of those people like Bowie that can just you know take any genre they wanted and just put it just seamlessly into their music, and you don't think, wow, this is just a, just a rip-off. You know, this is dollar store funk. You don't get any of that because it's just the transition is just so nice. It's because he commits fully to doing it right. On top of that, he's even mentioned that his output is unified by a conceptual continuity that he calls project-slash-object, where various ideas, characters, and musical phrases will reappear in his work. Frank Zappa is one of those artists that has multiple characters that he likes to bring back, introduce, and general conceptual ideas. And not only characters or ideas, Manz is also a motif legend. He'll also bring certain phrases and riffs back throughout his albums as well. I mean, he doesn't do it as much as like some... The band and like or artists that do it the most is King Gizzard. They will just wear out some motifs. That like using stuff and putting it in here later on down the road... Even if they're just short, very fantastic. The Zappa lore and the Zappa onion, it goes deep. There are many, 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 many layers. I mean, even in Cosmic Debris, the dust of the Grand Wazoo, that's in reference to an album he did. What does he do? What is he all about? These are the questions and more that you'll ask yourself when you dive into the Zappa lore. 
a lot of people say, oh, this band has lore, this band has lore, and they just did not plan for that to happen. It's yeah, just, they just kind of... They just reused ideas, but there's no like overarching story building or anything. But Zappa, he's a very visual musician when he's making his music, so he's doing this intentionally. It's not like, oh, you know, I just used the same guy named Jeff twice in two songs, and now there's like lore of some guy named Jeff. It's not like that. He actually in- intends to do no, that. No, there is an entire continuity to Zappa Records. It's kind of insane. Anyway, um, we are closing down here. Now, the next track is actually probably one of Frank Zappa's most famous songs, Uncle Remus. Now, at first, I almost interpreted this as a racist song. I'm not going to lie. Same. Yeah, that's that's what the song gets a lot. You know, I read into the lyrics and I realized, no, it's actually a commentary on racism and his thoughts about racism in general. And uh, I think it's actually a very clever, clever song and a, a thoughtful commentary. It's almost too clever opinion. for its own. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's all like, good. Uh, like it almost flew over my head. I almost interpreted it as straight up racist. Fantastic. Instrumentally though. A lot of, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah funk the, and blues. Yeah. That, that riff is solid. And the piano work. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. Work. Very underrated. This is actually probably the most quote unquote normal sounding song on the album. Yeah. It's, pretty approachable and it's very popular and it's actually to this day one of frank zappa's biggest songs doesn't really have a whole lot of like really weird ad libs or really weird frank zappa isms yeah or like really just tonal or musical shifts it pretty much stays stays in its lane throughout the whole song and it is more one of his most contemporary and like pop oriented of like the whole album pretty solid but slightly confusing penultimate track we got the closer stinkfoot i do like this song but I have a couple problems with it. I, I do as well. I actually think it drags quite a bit towards the end. It really wears out its welcome. It's like that guy that tells his joke, and then he tells his joke again, and it's like, bro, there's no need to tell the joke again. This song could have been three, four minutes. I was listening to it, and I was like, oh, you know, it's kind of funny. Ha ha, you know, Stinkfoot. The way he's describing it is hilarious, honestly. Like, Since the delivery, it's so matter-of-fact. Those of us that wear sneakers and the occasional python, python boot. boot. Yeah. <laughs> there are some of like the little ad libs and like sound samples in there. That that one where that one guy is just like, hey boy, come here boy. Man, I, that was so cringe. I would just want to just slap the shit out of him like, for putting that in. That's, that was awful. That is a very cringe. common theme across Zappa music. Yeah, and that's kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. If you don't, if you don't find that funny, you're not going to find... Frank Zappa enjoyable. Just the general Frank Zappa brand of comedy. It's very quirky. Quirky is a, a good way to describe yeah. it. I just didn't think it landed as well as some of the other tracks. Like a lot of the other funnier tracks are very punchy. They're very matter of fact and to the point. And I do think Stinkfoot accomplishes that, but I just really think it should not have gone on as long as it did. The joke kind of wore itself out. Personally, I disagree. I enjoy the song all the way through, every time I listen to it. I totally understand why someone would get tired of it, especially at the end when he starts talking about Fido. Yeah, and like <laughs> the, the weird ad-libbing. Like you guys have said before, you know, this this is just one of those things where you're going to like it or you're not going to. Yeah, Frank Zappa is, is a love or hate kind of artist. There is no in-between. It r- really does depend on your sense of humor. There could have been like more to this song if it had if it was better musically, had a better riff or he had some guitar licks on this track, I may have been willing to look past that and been like, heck yeah, I don't care. There are certain Tenacious D songs that they might as well not even have lyrics. I don't even care. 
honestly, Jack Black could have just not sung on that song. That that riff and just and Dave Grohl carry that song so hard. He could have literally just been like saying names from a phone book, and it literally does not matter. It's not the case here, unfortunately. But yeah, so what did you guys think about the album in total, as in a nutshell? I think it is overall fantastic. I did have some problems with it. There were some jokes that didn't land. And the reason that takes it back for me is, you know, that is kind of the core of the album is the the virtuosic, amazing compositions. Musically, I do not have a problem with this album. I mean, yeah, I did complain about Stinkfoot, um, but it's not really a bad song. I mean, it's just so much less interesting than everything else here. I mean, for a 33-minute album, there is so much to unpack. I mean, you know, we're talking about it in a pretty brief and general sense, but we could do a full two-hour analysis on what's going on in this album. A live stream of us listening to this and breaking it down like bar by bar would that, be a full-time job. And that's yeah. part of why it was so hard to attack this review for me, because there were so many moving parts, and Frank is just a compositional genius. There is not a single part on this album or in the structure of this album that I'm I don't think it's perfect. There's no complaints. There really isn't. Um, it's really more just the the brand of humor. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's really my main issue with the album. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is replayable. And I will say, you know, the opening suite, I love the opening suite, but uh, a couple of those songs I would not really go back to outside of that context because they are so interwoven together, but that's not really a big problem. Overall, I mean, Zappa's guitar playing, the compositions, the backing group, the mothers of invention, they're insane. They're brilliant for them to be even working with Zappa in the first place. They have to be amazing. And it's awesome. And it shows here. I mean, this is really a great and approachable album experience. And I understand why this is Frank Zappa's most popular album. And overall, I mean, I'd say it's a solid eight and a half out of 10. I agree with a lot of those talking points. However, I'm probably going to be a little bit more extreme in my in my criticism. It doesn't really jive with me. And one of the biggest detractors is not in the music. And it's not even really about like the lyrics or how funny they are or how humorous I find them. It's really in the fact that to be in the mindset where you can just fully enjoy this music is sort of rare, at least for myself. You know, you have to be in the mood for something quirky, for something lighthearted, and for something fun, yet it's not really like vibe music. It's not like, you know, hang out, we're having fun, like super like positive music. Because there are some, you know, some topics, you know, racism, drug abuse. I mean, there's, there's some serious topics in here. But it really falls into that kind of like genre limbo where it's just like, what mood am I going to be in when I listen to this? It's kind of it's the same reason that I love Funkadelic and I'll sing their praises to the high heavens. You're not really going to catch me listening to them all that often just because you've got to be in such a very specific mood to listen to that kind of just zany, quirky music. So that hampers the enjoyment for me. However, I, and I was very afraid to get into Zappa. I've heard a song or two of his, but I'm like, am I going to jail with this guy? I kind of do and I kind of don't. And honestly, that has really changed it for the better. Like, I thought I just wouldn't like him, but I, I do. I really like him a whole lot. But it's just it's just very, very specific. A very specific time, very specific place. And I've been going on. I mean, I do not know what to give this album. I've gone gone through seven, seven, half, eight. I don't really know. If I could, I'd give this about, like, if I go like right in the middle and split, it'd be like a 7.7. But I'm, I'm going to go ahead and be a little kinder. I'm going to give this album an eight. Apostrophe was my entry into the 
Zappiverse, we'll call it. It left a very big impression on me. This was the first time that I'd really heard anything like it. My dad, he showed me, he had the record, and I was blown away. The musicianship is incredible. The lyrics are ridiculous. Every time I listen to this album, I just have so much fun. I smile. I laugh. It just makes me feel good every single time. With the exception of maybe one song on here, I liked pretty much everything about it. So for me, I'm going to give this album a 9 out of 10. So what James is saying is that I don't have fun and that I don't enjoy music. No, <laughs> no, no, I, no not at man, all. But man, a nine. Wow. I, no, I think it's great. I do just have some problems here and there. I mean, it's really nitpicks. You know, and I agree. This is a great entry point to Frank Zappa. This was my entry point to Frank Zappa, thanks to James. And now I'm digging down this rabbit hole. Now, I actually do prefer Hot Rats over this. I think Hot Rats is like peak Frank Zappa personally, and a lot of people would agree with me on that. I, I figured you would enjoy that one more. I don't um, prefer Hot Rats to this album, but I do prefer Shake Your Booty to this album. Shake Your Booty is also really good. So, yeah, any of those three, in my honest opinion, would be great entry points into Zappa's solo work. Now, The Mothers of Invention, I'm still getting through that. Good Lord. Great yeah. googly moogly. If, you're, if you are interested in Frank Zappa and you want to take the deep dive down the rabbit hole of one of the most enigmatic and interesting musicians of the last 50 years, go for it. This is a great opening and entry point. It's not for everyone. These guys are right. You really do have to be in a mood to listen to them. Well, yeah. I mean, overall, I think it's a great project. You may not gel with it if it's not your brand of humor, but I think it's worth a listen, even if it's just for the instrumentals. I wanted to do my best to try and cover Zappa, but it's such a deep rabbit hole that it's probably not going to be as extensive or as deep as one might hope. But we did we did our best here. We gave you the cliff notes. The it's a, it's going to be up to you to really, really dig into Zappa I, if you I, want to. I also have a final closing thought, and this will be like one of the very few times that I will say this in its entirety, but I feel like the reason I don't enjoy Frank Zappa as much as some other like weird bands, some of his music just takes so long to digest that it's just it goes right above my head. That's how um, how much of a heavy heavyweight he is in the in the music composing scene. I mean some stuff he's doing I can't even appreciate it fully. Even after like five, six listens of that I mean, I've listened to this album like five times and even then I was there's stuff you can miss. He is the thinking man's musician, and he will wear that that belt like throughout his entire discography when you listen to it. He's your favorite musician's favorite musician. Perfectly said. With that being said, this is Off the Key Podcast, and we're out of here. Thanks, guys.
Hey everybody, Mac here, and I just wanted to give a shout out to LaCrembo for the intro and outro music. Also, check out our link tree for where to follow us. We are on Instagram and Facebook and a variety of streaming platforms. And if you could give us a sub or a listen or even a follow, it'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. See you later.